Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank you so much for listening, and I hope you are doing well. This is our sixth episode in our series, The Donation Process from the OPO Lens. And this is where we explore how donation works, how it unfolds within the organ procurement organization for the OPO. And we are taking you through this process step by step. So we kicked off this series uh, speaking with Erica Randall of Donation Support Services, which is really where the donation process begins, if you will. It's kind of the hub of donation. Uh, We then followed uh, Erica up with Christian Wilson, who is a donation coordinator, and then Jen Mayloff, the family services coordinator. And then we had Ethan Fuqua, an organ recovery specialist, followed by Michelle Myers, a tissue recovery tech. And my guest today will really kind of will take a little bit of a turn and she's going to talk about her role. And really her role in, in her department is I see them as the connector, if you will, uh, to our hospital partners and really just um, keeping the education going, um, the lines of communication going so that when donation happens, um, it happens as seamlessly as possible, which is very important. So I'm excited to have you learn more about, about that role because at the end of the day, donation is and has to be a collaborative process. Donation happens because of community. It happens because of our hospitals, both our donor hospitals and our transplant centers, the OPO, uh, sometimes the coroner, and then finally the funeral home. But the very beginning of this process is the person who designated themselves to be a donor or their family who made the decision. This life-saving and life-changing gift all begins with yes. So the purpose of our series is, it's twofold. Uh, I want to explain more about the OPO's role and functionality so that you can understand how the gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation come to be, as well as just understanding everything that goes into this life-saving and life-healing process. And then secondly, maybe you're considering a change in your career. Maybe you're saying, hey, I want to do something uh, that has meaning. I want to give back to my community. This is a fantastic career path. It's about community, it's healthcare related. And so this is a great opportunity if you haven't to tune into this series and learn about each aspect of the donation value chain. So you can visit lifepassiton.org to listen to all of the episodes. And also you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, Again, we're life, uh, this thing called life. So please check us out. So with that, I want to welcome my guest today, Ms. Stephanie Gastado. Welcome, Stephanie. How are you doing today? Thank you, Andy, for having me on the show. I am doing very well, and I'm really looking forward to sharing 
my role at Life Center Organ Donor Network and maybe also share a little bit about my background and how I got here today. Well, I think that's a perfect jumping off point. Why don't you tell us, um, how did how did you get here? That uh, starts about 30 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm not 30 years old, but I about (laughs) 35 years ago, my parents got married and they had their first child. And it was in March of 1989 when they had their first child. And he actually, unfortunately, was born with a very rare tracheal defect. And their home base was out of Columbus, Ohio. And from their son, Mark Timothy Tesner's birth, in, in diagnosis, they were actually brought to Cincinnati Children's Hospital for um, extensive treatment in the PCU, the, the PICU, the pediatric ICU unit there, where he was staying there for about six months until he actually ended up passing away. But from their loss, they were offered this incredible opportunity to have their son, Mark, my brother, become a tissue and eye donor. And it really has been described to me since I was very young through my whole life that donation saved their marriage at such a fragile point in their life, going through a loss of a nine-month-old child to find hope in potential opportunities to save others. And my brother ended up being a cornea and heart valve donor in 1989. And my whole life, I knew that donation was the most important thing. And so it's kind of been my beating drum, but I did not know it was going to hit even more close to home. In uh, January of 2013, my other brother passed away in Cincinnati, Ohio. He was running on the track at UC, ready to go to medical school. He was a hundred days away from graduating from his undergraduate degree when he collapsed, when he was running on the indoor track and nobody got to him in time. Unfortunately, it was, he was kind of hidden in the cameras and they couldn't see him, but he couldn't be a donor, unfortunately for through tissue and eye donation, just due to some recent travel history, mm-hmm. but we were called and I'll never forget hearing that call while my entire family was surrounding the phone. And we were going through kind of the questioning of all of his medical information. But I remember the approach that Life Center had with my family. And it was really surreal to hear that in real time versus hearing the story of when my parents were approached um, back in 1989. And of course, my parents wanted to try to donate and they were obviously saddened that they couldn't. However, it was life-changing for me. I was 18 years old. I was at Wright State University and I just knew I knew my graduation cap one day was going to be donate life themed. And I actually ended up graduating from Wright State, bachelor's in biomedical engineering. And I got to have my cap, have the donate life logo on it. And my first career began in eye banking at Lions Eye Bank of West Central Ohio. So I was continuing this legacy and fulfilling this lifelong kind of aspiration in transplant. And then I ended up making a new journey in Cleveland in tissue donation, where I was the recovery specialist for about two and a half years. And then I've moved down to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I began working at Life Center as a hospital services coordinator. And the best part about my job 
is getting to tell my brother's story, my, my oldest brother's story of his donation journey and how many lives he impacted. And every time I share the story about my brother, I always text my mom and tell her, I told your son's story today. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, 30 some years later, his story has lived on, which I think is just the most beautiful part about donation. Oh gosh, that, that is, I honestly did not know your personal connection. So thank you so much for sharing that. And just, I mean, wow. It's like, as you're, as you're speaking, I feel like donation is just, it's, it's really paramount in a, in a really like it's woven into your, your family. Yeah. I mean, I, I will never forget when I told my mom I was going to work for the iBank and she was like, my, and I should probably preface this too. My parents are both deaf. Really? Not not only was the struggle of losing two children in their lives, just absolutely devastating, but they had to do this with a barrier of language. And, um, I think in their mind, they found the positive of everything because they also saw that they were given the opportunity, even though they were deaf, like Mm -hmm. it wasn't something that life center was afraid of doing, speaking to a deaf family who lost their nine month old child in the ICU. You know, Mm -hmm. this was, they felt like they were being welcomed into something versus excluded. Like they'd always been. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like an inclusive thing that they got to be a part of something so rare. And then when I told my mom that I was doing this, she just felt like, I feel like the world is so vast, but this field of donations, so niche. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I, I, I'm so proud of you for being in something so small of a field, but so impactful globally. Well, and the fact too, that this has been your career. I mean, you have been in eye recovery, tissue recovery. Now you're working kind of on the other side, working with our hospital partners. But I mean, that's, I don't know that I know anyone who was in this work that that's really just been their entire career. So I think in that in itself is, it's just, that's really cool. It's very interesting. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. And it really gives me a lot to share whenever I get the opportunity to share my story. I don't always open up with my story when I go to hospitals and talk to staff, but when it when it's the right moment to really just give that insight as to like why I'm sitting here and standing in front of you. It's not mm-hmm. because I'm trying to earn the dollar or right. you know, make the grind. It's because I really do have something to tell you. And it's because I've been impacted by yeah. Was this all really deeply <laughs> meaningful and personal for you? Yeah. So that's just my life. Oh, <laughs> well, that that's a beautiful story. Um, thank you. So thank you for sharing. Of course. So if we can just make a turn and can you talk about what it is that you do in your role in hospital services? Yeah. So as a hospital services coordinator, It really takes somebody who is willing to walk into a hospital and be open to speaking with staff across multiple disciplines in a very kind of high stake environment 
Mm-hmm. And my role is to make sure that I first and foremost am building relationships with the teams that specifically physicians, bedside nurses, chaplains, respiratory therapists, a, a hospital unit coordinator, patient care support staff to make sure that I'm building these relationships that they know who is Life Center, why we need to work together, specifically educating that it's a Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services requirement or CMS. Um, hospital staff are very familiar with that with that federal regulatory body. And when I share that that's why we're here, it helps kind of break down that barrier of like, you're an outside person, why are you here? And once I've broken down that barrier, I have to build up from that with relationships and get to know staff and make sure that they know what is their ultimate role in the donation process. And they are the first, and they are the frontline workers for Life Center. Um, They start the process, the chain of when Life Center starts to get involved in patients' clinical statuses. And if they don't know what their role is, then Life Center doesn't know potential patients, potential opportunities for donation. So it's most important to build relationships and then provide them the education on the basics of their role, as well as things that are changing as like most medical fields, donation changes with that. So it's important to build those relationships, educate on top of that, and to ensure anything that does happen on a donation case is kind of touched back, Um, you know, circling back after a case and providing and offering feedback or kind of dialing in on the staff's emotional awareness of what happened and being there to support them. Wow. Wow. So can you walk us through what, what a typical day looks like for you in this role? Yeah. So like today I woke up at like 6 a.m. and I prepared to get ready to go out into the hospitals. But before I walked out the door, there's a daily like 7 a.m. call where we kind of all connect, all the all the coordinators and the staff, we connect. We are discussing what's going on, what the day is going to look like as it's It's always changing, like I said. And as the hospital services coordinator, I have specific hospitals that I am responsible for. Um, You can call it territories if you want, but I like support a specific set of hospitals. And I need to focus in on what are those hospitals actively doing now while also working on things that I've planned ahead with, which is education. So I'll set up a a brief 15 minute education on life center to one of my hospitals as they have a group of new hired staff coming on. So I have to make sure that they're getting educated. So while there's live kind of activity going on, I'm also working on building up education and I've had scheduled events going on. And I also do a set of rounds at my hospitals. I have to achieve a certain number of interactions with our hospital staff at each hospital 
each month. So I go to each hospital, making sure that they know that I am frequently here and that I'm here to support them. Sometimes I'm working on looking at their policies. Maybe something's out of date with a policy. So I'm encouraging hospitals to relook at something. Or I'm working with the hospital because some sort of variance occurred and I need to do like a quality check. So maybe it's checking in with the unit manager of an ICU or an emergency department just to make sure that we're working with that nurse or working with that physician and making sure that everything's clear. Or I'm working on fun things like potentially having a tabling event, trying to set up a table at the hospital, increase registration, or prepare for Donate Life Month, which is kind of like a, a six-month yeah, Donate Life Month in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm always looking ahead, right? Just looking at how can we get this hospital pumped up for it, you know, and to think about what kind of activities are you going to have on your unit to help bring that culture, bring positivity around what is so uniquely and very rare to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like my day in the life of, and then a lot of what I do physically has to be notated. So I have to write notes about everything and store that in and information into hospital specific profiles, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you find it because in some ways, um, a hospital services coordinator is like, yes, you have your, your group of hospitals that you interact with, but do they view you as an outsider or are you part of the team? I mean, what's that dynamic like? I think at first, if you walk into a brand, like your brand newly assigned hospital, which I just had assigned to me, it, at first it feels like you don't know who you're looking at. You're kind of like looking around and <laughs> you're just trying to watch and see how their behaviors are and just understand what is the unit like? Is it like a high peak hour or is it like, you know, you're just kind of like analyzing. And then eventually as you familiar, familiarize yourself with just independent people, people start to see that you're not, you're in, the, you're in this group, like you belong here especially if you do it effectively, right? You were there to like, I will do whatever they need me to do on that unit. And they know that. So they come to me and they're familiar with me now. So it takes some time. I especially had a, a tricky introduction. I started in March of 2020, which is when pretty much all the doors shut in the whole world. Right. And I was like, totally relying on the fact that I would see people face to face. And I couldn't do that until June of 2020. And everyone had masks on. So I had to literally build relationships with the already difficult, challenging, natural part of the job of working with critical care units. But I also had to do it with a mask. So I had to remember people's eyes and eyebrows <laughs> and hair and it always changed. So it was really hard, um, but people knew who I, who I was. So that was what worked out really well. And you talk, I mean, talk about baptism by fire, right? Like you, I remember when you began and like we were in a, a temporary space and I thought, oh, wow, this isn't like the worst possible time to be, you know, begin a new job. And so what were the challenges like for, for your group during that 
that time of COVID? Yeah, excellent question. Um, it was pretty much knocking at a door that wouldn't answer for a while because their tough. only focus was just their patient as the yeah. bedside nurse, physician, it's the whole unit, and then managers, their whole mindset was on these just get everyone to come to work probably. Mm -hmm. um, so for us to come knocking and be like, <laughs> it, they they weren't even yeah. answering you know they it's weren't like even another thing on their plate they're they're yeah. trying to navigate a pandemic that that's exactly and everything was always changing for them so for us to try to i mean it was a huge challenge but every day there was always some sort of new silver lining to mm -hmm. what we were learning and i think what the hardest thing was, was educations. Mm -hmm. Normally they were in person. We had to learn to pivot. Luckily the department, my, this team that I had was already kind of working on something virtual. Mm -hmm. It was called Sways and they're like these self-guided kind of more of a step up to like PowerPoints, mm -hmm. but they were easily editable and share. You could share them very well without using a lot of data. And we started using that tool because they started it in October of 2019 so they were already developing products for the hospital, but then all we had to do was just really get it out there. And we were able to educate staff virtually, which was great. We would, we would call in huddles and it really taught us that in-person isn't the only way to do things. Right. Like all of the fields in this, after really the COVID pandemic hit. And I think also people not, the same people weren't there anymore. Mm -hmm. You have a rotation of staff that are exhausted and don't know if this is the job for them. And so they leave and then you have travelers and travelers are excellent. They've been around before COVID and did a great job for hospitals, except now we're telling these travelers that they have this high level of acute patient care to handle. And that was hard. Um, <laughs> identifying who was a traveler getting a moment with them was really hard yeah because I you know in everything that you're saying about working with with the hospital partners you know that that relationship is key and so I, I would imagine during that time it was like okay may not see that that person I've been you know working with or speak to that person because I'm you know I know for quite a while it was difficult to even be on site at hospitals <clears throat> so all of that had to be extremely difficult to navigate yes but we did it and mm -hmm. I think I think the greatest part about the whole thing was that we still made donation happen and we didn't, we didn't even lag. We didn't even lag. We made more opportunities possible through those extremely challenging times. And I think it it's a testament to how, I know this is such a word, a big word that people use now, but it's like, we were resilient and we did that hand in hand with these hospital staff members. Cause the hospital staff members still were like, yes, COVID is just absolutely terrible, but this is the shining light was donation for them. Wow. Yeah, it was wonderful. Wow. I'll never forget my first honor walk we got to have at one of my hospitals. And it was so moving. And the amount of people that I saw shed emotional tears that I never would have guessed 
just because the little I knew of them and um, it was just wonderful. I mean, talk about a reset. Like Mm -hmm. you work every day, you're grinding, you're going, but then this happens on your unit and you're like reset. You're like, I know why I'm doing this again. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. So someone who is there listening and they're thinking, wow, this sounds like a great opportunity, um, something I would be interested in. What skill set, what characteristics do you think that it takes to be successful? Yeah, great question. I I love that question because I keep finding new skills in myself every day that relate to this job. So it's always great. I think you have to be good at you have to be kind of, I don't want to say like a hustler, but you really have to run yeah. um, in this job. You have to be willing to run and run at challenging situations. I like that. Willing to run at challenging yes. situations. Nice. Yeah. You're like running into the fire sometimes, <laughs> but it's not yeah. like the fire is always bad. It's just like, there's a lot to digest. Um, sure. you, have to be, you can't be super reactionary to things. You have to take things in and breathe and then process it because sometimes things are perceived as intense, but then when you really pull it apart, you can see that, oh, this was just not seen because it was a high stakes situation. You know, there's a lot to understand. And so that's a skill. I think taking something in versus just being reactive and feeling something about a situation, you have to process. You have to have time to process. You have to have a really trustworthy relationship with your, with your team to give each other feedback, share information. You have to be a, I wouldn't say you have to be an extrovert. I think you have to learn how to be extroverted during your time on the job. But when you go home, you can just be quiet. (laughs) You have to to talk a lot. You have to share, you have to to present. I would say that I wasn't excited about presenting when I first started this job Mm -hmm. but I think it helped that I also had the mission behind me with my experience but I learned to talk to a large audience in this job so that's something you can learn on the job but I also think you have to be prepared you you can't you can't come unprepared or else you're not gonna you're not gonna give it all to these staff members that only have so much time to spend with you. So if you're not prepared for the moment, then it's mm. gonna be really hard. It's gonna be really hard. Um, so organization, you also have to have really good skills of just listening and responding mm-hmm. to what people are telling you. And then being able to find the important information from what they're telling you, because sometimes it's just letting the staff talk to you and you just listen. And then you, yeah, you take what's vital from that and you go, Mm -hmm. you can't give up when it seems like everything is always changing. You have to adapt to the changes and be willing to also offer ideas of change. Right. What about do you, do you need to have a good grasp of, because obviously you're working with nurses nurses um, pretty closely. Do you need to have a good grasp or understanding of medical terminology? Yes, I would say a good grasp is definitely essential. I know our my background's in biomedical engineering, so I definitely took courses on 
anatomy and physiology. That's very essential for this job. Um, I learned a lot about, actually, I took a course on, it was basically about organ preservation. So it was really cool. But to the meat and the potatoes of this job is really just connecting and networking and building those relationships. I think everything else you can learn from a lot of the, the coordinators who are on the donor cases, you can learn a lot from them. Okay, great. What do you find most challenging about your role? It's a great question. I think it can change mm-hmm. quarter, quarter to quarter probably, but I think the biggest challenge is slowing down. Mm. You have to, I like, when I have to slow down, but my heart is like ready to keep going and trudging, it's, it's hard to come back and mm-hmm. look at certain things in, in the past. Okay. I don't even know if that makes sense. I guess. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm looking at sometimes data or information about a specific set of, yeah, a specific set of data from a hospital. And I have to think about it in real time as if we were living in it in real time, but I know that I'm in the, I'm, I'm, this is way behind me. Right. So I think sometimes that can be challenging and yeah. So I think that's my most challenging thing. I, and then obviously working with hospital staff with the masks was, was the biggest challenge for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I over, I overcame that and it's Absolutely. good. Absolutely. What has, so this is, you know, there's, it, it seems like there's a lot that you would have to juggle for lack of a better term in the day-to-day with this role and just really being in tune with the people that you're communicating with. And there's just a lot there, which I know can be stressful. What, what do you do? What do you do for self-care to recharge to, so that you can show up and be your best self to hospitals and to your teammates? What does that look like for you? That's a great question. And I love that question because I firmly believe in this, but sometimes one of my ways to reset my emotional, my emotional dial mm-hmm. is to hear a, a hear a donor story mm-hmm. um, or a donor, a donor family's story or to hear the recipient stories. And I love it when it's like the mission moment, which we have every month where we put the butterflies in our um, donor memorial glass Mm -hmm. that is a reset for me and then additionally personally each day my reset is to try to go to the gym Mm -hmm. and it's about getting done going straight there not even like questioning it you know how you can sometimes convince yourself out of it well you can't let yourself do it I try to listen to things while I'm driving and get there and then I just work it all out Mm -hmm. but I don't go every day I just go like four days maybe a week that's like the max that's good. I'm yeah. at three and I feel like I'm doing something. So I'm impressed. With you. <laughs> yes. yes. It's like that sweat therapy. You have It to- is therapy. It is completely agree. Yeah. And and it, maybe it's not, it's not about, maybe it's not the gym that people need, but it's something that you are like by yourself. It's like, you have to have your head. It's almost like your introverted moment of where you're putting everything back into yourself versus spewing it all out all the time. 
I think you and I are wired similarly. Like I, you know, with this role, we have to be extroverts, I think, but that like, I know instinctively I'm an introvert. <laughs> like, and so, so that's a lot of, like, that's a lot of emotion, you know, that you're putting forward. And so it's, you have to be able to kind of step back and fill your, fill your tank up. <laughs> yes. That's why that working out is critical for me. Yeah. I love, I love secret inter- introverts, but are <laughs> extroverts because they know, you know, you yeah. know. Yep. I completely get it. How, how, what has been your biggest challenge in community relations? Ooh, I love that the guest has asked the host a question. This is awesome. <laughs> what has been my biggest challenge? I would say just really, we really had to step back and look at, and then when I say we, I say I, like I had to step back and really evaluate what we were doing as a department and really having, you know, honest, hard conversations about how effective has it been and what do we need to do differently? And so that was, that was hard. That was hard, but um, we went through that exercise. We went through a lot of transition with the department and transition can be difficult, but it's been really good in that I feel like we are in such a different place and we look at community education much differently. It's not about going to showing up to an event and saying, you need to register to be a donor. Like that, that's a part of it, but there's yeah. so much more that goes into that. And how are we meeting all communities where they are? Because not everyone has this same understanding or experience or level of support of donation that others may have made others, you know, like you, you're very, very strong advocate because it's been ingrained in your family. It's, it's a fabric of, of your family. Not everyone has that experience. So really just kind of meeting each individual where they are, acknowledging their their truths and experiences around donation and with the medical system in general uh, and just building trust, building yes. trust, not just showing up, expecting them to do something. We, we want to build trust. We want to get to know you. And so that's, it's, it's been, it has been very challenging, but it's been very rewarding as well. And I think that, I think that there's just a better understanding now than there has been. So. So I'm excited yeah. about where we are, but that was definitely a, a huge shift for us. I I love that you just said that meeting them where they are, and that is how I would describe all of my hospitals are so different. So it's learning how to meet them where they're at, and I love that how community relations and hospital services are just so similar on that platform. It's just yes. it's so it's so true, and you're right. You have to build that level of trust, and um, that's just one of the most fantastic parts about how our we're basically like one big functional group, but right. they're just targeted in different, in different aspects, but it's so much community-based trust you have to build and meeting them where they're at. I love right. that. And, and, you know, it's, it isn't, you know, yes, donation is a beautiful, miraculous gift, but 
this is not all, you know, rainbows and puppies. Like there's, you know, there's a, there is a very difficult emotional side to the work that we do. I mean, we are talking about death and yes. And through that loss, we are able to help others heal through tissue and cornea and, and save lives through organ um, transplant. I mean, that is, that's miraculous, but there's just, it's a lot, there's a lot of difficult parts to what we do. And then also just, you know, kind of, again, recognizing not everyone has the same level of trust with the medical community. So that, that's something that we have to recognize and we have to listen. It's really about listening to people and just listening to their truth and then growing from there. Yeah. I love, I 100% agree. So is there anything else you would like to share as we wind down our time together? Yeah, I, I'm just really, I'm really thankful for Life Center's opportunities that they've given me since I started two and a half years ago. And I, 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 I'm so shocked that I ended up back. I ended up in Cincinnati, which is not where I'm from, but where, my two brothers had passed away and I can, I get to tell the stories of their lives and, and yes, yes. Donation has so much happy, like so much positivity to it, but yes, there are these lights that are, this is a grieving dark time for families. And I just always, my goal every day is just to make sure that my hospital staff are aware of the process to ultimately give these families what they deserve, which is the most respectful, supportive process for donation. Just to keep lifting it up while they can and and with the knowledge that they have. So that's my ultimate goal each and every day. Absolutely. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Just sharing a part of you. And I learned something new about you today. And just learning about your family, your brother Mark, and and the name of your your other brother. What is his name? Anthony. Anthony. Anthony and Mark. Just, I mean, amazing, amazing connection. And just, it almost feels like this. This is you are exactly where you're supposed to be in doing this work. So, thank you for all that you do, and just the compassion, the energy, everything that you bring bring every day your smile we just we appreciate you and thank you and our our our, you know our claimed um life center baby parker we (laughs) yes yeah she is a bright spot and i'm i'm appreciative that you guys are such a family oriented organization too that helps that helps a lot when you have a new a new family and yeah yeah Thanks for recognizing me and giving me this opportunity to share about my role and my experience and family. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. So as we close today, I want to remind everyone that 105,754 women, men, and children are in need of life-saving organ transplants. What can you do to help? Well, if you're not registered, please seek out the information that is true and do your research about what being a donor really means. You can speak with a medical professional 
You could connect with someone who has gone through the donation experience as either a living uh, donor, a donor family member, or a recipient. You can always uh, check out Life Center's Facebook page. Uh, we have amazing stories, uh, which again, I think is a, it's a great space just to learn more about what this means and how it impacts people every day. So I'd encourage you to do that. You can visit our life, uh, website at lifepassedon.org. You can register to be an organized tissue donor. You can learn more about being a living kidney donor uh, because the vast majority of the people on the national wait list are people in need of kidney transplants. So I wanna thank everyone for listening. I wanna thank Stephanie again for being here with us today and sharing her story. And I just wanna remind everyone to please be kind to yourself and to others. Take care, thank you. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow. 